Welcome everyone to Uncivilized Conversations. I'm your host, Gabriella, and today I have the pleasure of talking to the wonderful Dr. Eveline Dacker. She's been this powerful force that has been revolutionizing sexual education within the U.S. and redefining what sexual health and wellness means for the next generations. Welcome, Eveline. How are you? I am doing great this morning. Excited to be here with you. I'm so excited to have these conversations. So jumping right into it, how did the interest of your career path, the evolution of it, and sexual health come about? Well, I've been a practicing family physician since 1996, and um, I have been, through the course of my career, been taking courses in holistic and integrative medicine. I did some studies with Andrew Weil. I was certified in functional medicine, which I kind of describe as naturopathy for medical doctors. And during all of my um, studies, you know, learning about nutrition and herbs and manipulation, you know, body manipulation, the thing that was never discussed was sexuality. Um, I was once at a conference looking at all the books on the table and there was like all these books on gut health and herbs and supplements. And there was not one that was about pleasure or sexuality. And I realized, wow, how could we be talking about holistic health and wellness when we're excluding this huge part of who we are as humans? And after that, I decided to take it on and try to start integrating that idea into um, how to be healthier and how to be well. I love that. Yeah. As the more and more I do research within this, I feel like a lot of health resources or in the medical world, they only tend to talk about sex when there's a problem or something wrong, not as a solution. And even education, like you said, around pleasure is for some reason so taboo. And there's so many innate and beautiful advantages that we really are just touching the surface of um, embracing and discovering and breaking down these stigmas that are a result of lack of education within our healthcare system. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot in the medical system is about dis-ease, you know, and about illness and trying to then reverse it, where a lot of my work mm-hmm. comes about trying to not even have it happen in the first place, like trying to stay well and healthy. And I really see sexuality as a portal for embodiment. Not for everybody, but for a lot of people, it can be a portal for us to actually utilize the life force that we have to help us make choices that enable us to be whole and uh, healthy people, uh, which is very different than I think that most people see sexuality. When I, when I talk about sexuality, I don't talk about it as something you do with another person, but something that you actually do for yourself. Mm-hmm. I love That's so important. And so undervalued. That's, I wish we were teaching that because I know through several projects that you've been doing, you really have been revolutionizing what it, what sexual health means. What did you start to see or what did you see a lack of within the medical health profession world that you are trying to mitigate and trying to revolutionize specifically? Yeah, initially, really, it's about the stigma and the shame that we have even talking about sexuality and bringing it up. 
I teach, you know, how to be a, a sex positive healthcare provider to students and to practicing physicians because we're so scared and we're so tentative to ask those questions. Sexuality is such a taboo subject in general. Uh, the way we see it, the way we're taught about it in, as we're growing up in the terms of abstinence, uh, we think about sexual health again, like you said earlier, is what's wrong with us, the disease, lack of desire, STIs, and never do we actually think, wow, maybe this is actually something that if we start having conversations with people, we could shift their entire way they view their body, the way they view their um, their relationships with others, and see sexuality as something as a beautiful gift that actually enhances our life because of pleasure. Pleasure in general is never really discussed, even in holistic medicine. I mean, we don't discuss it. When we tell people, oh, you have this and this wrong with you, we actually say, well, stop taking this, do more of that. But none of it actually includes what makes you feel good. How could you actually improve your health through, through putting more into your life that actually brings you joy? And so a lot of my work is usually using sexuality to do just that. Um, we have a really hard, we make a lot of assumptions as medical professionals. We make assumptions about people all the time that they're monogamous, that if they're not monogamous and they're just looking to be in that monogamous relationship, that um, they're having sex by vaginal penal penetration, that if you don't meet this, those standards, then you know something is wrong with you. Whereas the whole idea of sexuality and relationships is so much bigger than that, so much grander than that. I remember one time giving a talk to a, to practicing physicians and people telling me, I don't want to know. I don't know. What, I don't want to know what my patients are doing. It makes me really uncomfortable. And I'm like, wow, we, we have a long way to go to really change our system of medicine to be one that actually heals people and not just gives them band-aids. Yeah, because it's concerning on both sides. If you aren't equipped with the tools to talk about these things in the first place. How do you expect people to come and trust you with these things? I have gotten to the point where, you know, whether it's an OBGYN, primary care doctor, I go in asking and I have to remind myself, they work for me. These are things that I need and I need to ask these questions. And unfortunately, if that doctor is not comfortable, is someone like you who does explore these things, I'm going to have to be the one to bring it up. You know, otherwise it never gets brought up. And I think so much of the sense of taboo, there's so many things. And I think in many situations, people are sexualized and yet we don't embrace yeah. sex and sexual activity and intimacy in and of itself. And that is in my, I don't know if you agree with this, but what leads to stigmas, it's like, oh, I'm terrified of talking about sex. I'm terrified at looking at my own body. I'm terrified at discovering what brings me pleasure, what brings me joy, what things, you know, how things work. I know many people that are like, absolutely, I don't look at that. I don't want to see that. And they want to be sexually desirable. Absolutely. A lot of people, and I think especially women too, it takes them until later in life to realize what their desires are, what their boundaries are. Absolutely. I, you know, when I, I have a lot of patients, a majority of my patients are women. And as they go through life changes, the life changes could be like having a baby or, you know, perimenopause or postmenopause. And I have a lot of women coming to me saying, my libido is low. 
And when I question them and kind of try to understand what they mean, what I really hear them saying is that I don't know what I desire or my desires are not being met. Since as mm. we go age and go through different life transitions, what we actually want changes. And yet society hasn't kept up with that. We're taught we're always wanting, we should want the same things. And sometimes, you know, as you get older or there's different life stresses, it's not that you have low libido because libido is really based on male sexuality. And when you decontextualize it mm -hmm. away from what men want, and, you know, a lot of the women are like, my husband's not happy because I don't want to have sex. And it's like, well, is he having sex the way you want to have sex? Like, what is it that you want? How do you want to be touched? What makes you juicy? and turned on and the answer really is a lot of women are kind of confused by some that. people never ask that right they don't even know and, and boundaries you know understanding boundaries is a really new concept it's i don't even know how much of it is discussed you know it was never discussed in my sexual education it, i didn't even understand the concept of boundaries until i was in my mid-40s and it was like this incredible aha moment and so part of my practice, actually, when I actually touch people is discussing boundaries. So even though I'm a medical doctor and they're there to see me about their blood pressure, I always kind of put it in my visit. Like, is it okay that I touch you? And, you know, of course, people are like, well, that's what I'm here for. And I'm like, no, this is your ability to say what you want for yourself. And I'm not here to do anything to you unless you agree to that. So, so really it's like, even though what I'm doing is a lot of sexual education, it really just leaks out to every part of being a provider and trying to get people to understand their body and take responsibility for themselves. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of it. We compartmentalize sexuality and sexual health in one sector. And we're like, this is somehow separate from everything else and don't realize that it is intertwined in every other part. The fact that, you know, if you're really in your head and you have no connection to your body whatsoever, and, you know, that emotional level of because things are so taboo and stigmatized. And like you said prior, you know, monogamous relationships, straight relationships, people are supposed to be one gender or the other or not have fluidity or not explore kink or anything that they're into. And they neglect or oppress these parts of themselves and then get to a certain stage and say, I don't know what I want or I'm not working. Because in their minds, it makes them feel like I'm broken. I'm doing something wrong. Everyone's supposed to enjoy sex because that's what I've been told. But mm -hmm. I've never actually explored what sexual activity and being pleasured means to me and what my values and self-worth is. And it's a lot that you have to unpack, but people don't realize that's the same thing. Absolutely. Learning about yourself, that that is the most intimate part of yourself. And in time... You know, if you don't accept those things or continue to evolve or continue to have those really honest conversations with yourself, you end up getting to a point in your life where you do have to break it down and rebuild and say, okay, this wasn't working for me. I actually need to figure out what I like because I don't know anymore or I exactly. haven't known. Exactly. And I, and also, I think there's a lot of assumptions that if people are, let's say, non-monogamous, then they're cheating or something is wrong with them. Or if they're into kinky play or BDSM, that they're just working out trauma. And I think a lot of healthcare providers who don't 
understand the depth and the nuances will see all of it as a disease, right? As something wrong, where in truly it's like it's just part of the normal human sexual expression and romantic and life and expression of who one is. And there doesn't have to constantly be this story laid on top of that, that something is actually wrong with them and that us as medical doctors have to, or, you know, providers have to actually go and fix. Once we start understanding the the broad spectrum of human desire and pleasure and play, then we're able to meet that in, in a way that really we start working with each other and bringing us to be the best of who we are and our bodies are. And that is a lot. That's my medical work. So I, I kind of have two different parts to my work. That's my medical work. My teaching work around medicine is to really help provide some resources and teaching to healthcare providers so that they can feel comfortable even asking the questions and then recognizing how important it is to understand that so that we can, you know, then talk to our patients about their blood pressure. <laughs> Because it's all tied in. Our stress, our love, our life, our um, our joys are all tied into our struggles, our you know illnesses, the way that we move through this world. Yeah, and that you're not. There's nothing wrong with you. I hate that feeling when people are you know I'm different. There's something wrong with me. And also talking about sexual health is also setting a boundary to know. I feel like people that are asexual are also left out of the conversation. And a friend of mine is just like, if you do not find pleasure in this way, what does that mean to you? That is just as important as somebody who has a very high sex drive or needs certain things. That is so important. Or I think a lot of like STIs in general are stigmatized, but I think herpes gets the brunt of it. Yeah, for sure. Because other ones, like it, it leads to something worse. And this one, I think Western culture... And in a lot of ways, religion kind of came in and taught those beliefs of, you know, male or female, the duality, monogamous relationships, Mm -hmm. teaching abstinence in schools, and that kind of bled over and Mm -hmm. brought stigma to these things and makes people feel like they're wrong, they're dirty. And it's like, you're not. Absolutely. I want to address, um, you know, the whole concept of asexuality, because I know people are like, well, if you're talking about sexual health and you're using sexuality as a point of of pleasure and a portal into your embodiment, what about asexual people? Well, I believe that sexuality is an energetic. And even if you don't, you know, have that energetic that feeds you or is alive in you, that energetic is still part of you because we do exist in a society that elevates or discusses it and utilizes it. It doesn't mean, it's almost like um, just because we tell people to exercise, not everybody's going to go into and want to start exercising to like elevate themselves, but we still talk about it. So, uh, you know, when I, I think being asexual and discussing sexuality, even in that context is extremely important, not because there's something wrong with them because there is not everybody lives on the spectrum, but just to acknowledge that it is a part of who we are and what it's like being somebody who's asexual, having to deal with living in a world that just, make sexuality almost primary to every relationship. So I think it is an important thing to actually address. Yeah. Um, The other thing that you brought up is about STIs and the whole stigma and herpes. And, 
and how that plays into, you know, oh, as a doctor, I mean, that's what we do. We, we diagnose things, right? And then give people medicine. But really, um, I find that STIs and especially herpes is, is a metaphor for our sex negative culture. It's a metaphor for our shame. It's a metaphor for our guilt. Yeah. It's a metaphor for what keeps us bound in story around sexuality. Because I'm going to, I'm going to compare, um, herpes to shingles or zoster, which is chicken pox. You know, Shing they both pretty much present very similarly. They both present with pain and a rash. Um, <clears throat> they come up usually during times of stress. And yet we never get scared or stigmatized shingles where we do with herpes because most of the time, you know, herpes is found on your genitalia. Now, I have seen shingles there as well, but because it's on your genitals, it almost feels like it's a it's a punishment. It's like a punishment from God. It's a punishment from society. It's a punishment for doing something that brings you pleasure. So really understanding and, and deconstructing the idea that this is just another virus. And yes, some people have outbreaks that are painful and uncomfortable, but many people do not. And many people navigate it in a very easy fashion. So why does it become something that is so difficult to even talk about and address? And we're so fearful. I don't think it's the virus at all. I really think it's a story that we have around no. I agree with that 100%. You know, that that's that's where I that's my other work is really working with people to destigmatize this concept and what it means and to deconstruct it and to to unravel the the perception of having one particular virus and it meaning so much. Yeah, I mean, I think I really utilize STIs and it's it's really a story. I think it came out of the 1980s after HIV and AIDS. Before the 1980s, sexuality was pretty um, liberal. People knew that there was STIs, but it wasn't like they were shamed in the same way as they are now. We didn't even know that there were two different herpes until the late 60s. So a lot of this is kind of newer, embedded in our society of today. It's not something that's been, you know, centuries in the making and people always felt that. Mm, that's really interesting. It's wild too. And I think you said it beautifully when you specifically stated it has nothing to do with the virus at all because there is HSV1 and HSV2 and also shingle, like those are all the same kind of part of a same strain. But mm -hmm. because like people will be like, oh, well, I, I get cold sores as opposed to they will do everything to distance themselves from the stigma. And it's like, the problem is the lack of education and the fact that a lot of our healthcare systems are so heavily influenced in, you know, religious abstinence practices. And they're like, well, gonorrhea, syphilis, things like that. And now HPV, we're talking about it more because it can cause negative effects on the body. Mm -hmm. Herpes does not. So they're like, we're just going to shame the shit out mm -hmm. of everyone because otherwise they won't be afraid of it. And the percentage, like, it's insane because I've gone in with, like, past partners and, like, I want to get a blood work test. And I've had doctors be like, you have no symptoms and turn us away. And they're like, the mental repercussions, like, mental health repercussions are so extreme that we do not recommend the test. And I was like, there are so many problems with this. Like, I understand <laughs> why you're doing that. But also, the problem isn't that, like, it shouldn't be a thing. <laughs> it should just be like, yeah. 
you got this thing. It happens. A large portion of people have it. Protect whoever, whatever partners you have. Go from there. Absolutely. And I disagree. I really disagree with those recommendations, the uh, United States Preventative Task Force and the CDC. One of them actually states, I think it's the U.S. um, PTF that states that the mental, yes, like the mental repercussions of it are worse than than knowing. And there's actually been a study that negates that, that says that is not true. That people who know really process it and understand it. And also there's the other reason is that it doesn't change behavior. So if you know that you have it, people are still going to do the same thing. And I also disagree with that because I, I, I also, I believe that it has more to do with the lack of healthcare providers understanding how to be sex positive and understanding what it means and how to actually counsel people around around that it takes a lot of time and we have this um this idea that we don't have the time to actually sit and counsel and teach people the the other thing that i just want to share with you and share with any of your listeners is that it is actually recommended to take to get the test if you have multiple sexual partners so most doctors do not know that. So I always tell everybody, if you want the herpes blood test, tell them that the CDC does recommend it for multiple sexual partners. Now, maybe people don't want to actually be outing themselves saying, you know what, I have multiple sexual partners. And there's no clear definition of what that means either. I've looked it up. What is multiple sexual partners? The most I was able to get to an understanding is that it means more than four <laughs> in a lifetime. Now, almost what? everybody, I know, I know. So it's, it, it, that doesn't make any sense. So is it, is multiple mean that you have more than two at the same time? Does it mean that you've had more than two within a certain period? There's no, no definition of it. And more than four in a lifetime makes no sense. So I think that if there's anybody who really feels called and drawn to wanting to get this blood test, that they just need to say, well, it is recommended for people who have had multiple sexual partners and I want the test. So there. <laughs> so there. Which I love that. And that needs to be a thing. But like you said, as somebody who is currently a practicing doctor, what needs to happen is these need to be implemented within the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. You know, they, the stigma starts with one, the education system that kids grow up in, um, because a lot of times they're scared and or shamed, but then simultaneously sexualized at a time where their hormones are in flux. And then they go into the real world and it's just like, figure it out. So the education there needs to definitely be revamped, which I think you're doing a beautiful job pioneering. Mm -hmm. But then secondly, how do we influence the medical world and medical professions to unravel the stigma within polyamorous relationships, within the queer community, LGBTQIA+. How do we do that? Mm, Good question. I think that we're doing it. You know, unfortunately, it, it kind of is unfair that it takes people who are within that community to have to teach those people outside of the community. You kind of wish that like, why can't doctors just learn about what it is, what kink means. Why can't medical professionals learn about how to destigmatize STIs, how to address people who are queer? I mean, it would be wonderful 
if that would be a big enough concern for healthcare providers to take it on themselves, but unfortunately it's not. And part of my work and why I do my work is because I could speak from both sides as a, you know, queer, uh, polyamorous, yet mainstream family physician, I could see both sides of it and trying to bring that knowledge out to medical professionals, but also to the mainstream, because there's so much to learn from these communities, from these communities, which is what my STARS work is about. STARS is a uh, conversation that addresses really important elements that one should address before you become sexually active with someone. And these are all things that make, like, if you've ever been in a kink negotiation or in a tantra workshop or anything like that, those are things that everybody talks about beforehand. Like, what what are your boundaries? What what are your intentions? What is it that you want? What is it you don't want? How are we going to keep ourselves in a safer sex container? What are your STI status? So I took all this. I was like, when I started studying all this, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such a profound yet simple idea. Why don't we bring that out to everybody? Like, why don't we teach that in sex ed 101 when somebody is 12 years old? You know, we're not just teaching them not to have STIs. We should be teaching them how to communicate, how to have relationships, how to take ownership for their body, how to understand it, what it is that one wants and be brave enough to open one's heart to actually say it. So I do this work trying to get, you know, healthcare professionals leaning towards sex positivity, but I'm also trying to get people who never even consider what sex positivity could mean and be into a deeper understanding of how to take ownership for themselves and how to create beautiful relationships with one another. So my star's work is not for sex positive communities. My, you know, my star's work is for everybody. I mean, transferring those things over to just hearing you talk about that. It's the consent that you want from every single patient when you say, hey, I'm taking your blood pressure. Are you comfortable? You don't know what trauma they've been through. You don't know how they are with physical touch. And that consent being catered over, teach kids how to say no. Teach kids Mm -hmm. what the value of their body is, what their worth is to be in touch with it, not ignore, ignore, ignore because it's shamed. And then, oh my God, I masturbated and it's bad. And I'm speaking as a woman because I constantly, there, you hear comedians, you hear boys will be boys. Oh, boys masturbate all the time. And women friends of mine have talked about this in adulthood. I was like, uh, hello, girls masturbate all the time and no one talks about this. And it was so shamed for the longest time. I'm like, why the fuck weren't we talking about this and normalizing it? Because you made us feel really ashamed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember being young and masturbating and having no idea what I was doing. And then remembering like reading a book, it was actually a Judy Bloom book, Dini, where I learned like, oh my God, that's what (laughs) I'm doing. And I, I went up to my dad and I'm like, dad, why didn't you like, why didn't we ever talk about this? And he's like, well, that's something boys do. And I was like, what? Boys too? Like, I have no understanding or clue about it at all. And and I'm so glad that it is, you know, at this time and age, really talked about more. In fact, one of the prescriptions I give my patients oftentimes will be talking, and I'm like, okay, you're going to get a prescription from me, and you're going to have to go, you know, this is something I, I, I'm... They're like, what? I'm like, I'm probably the only doctor that's ever going to give you this prescription, but you're going to self-pleasure. 
I want you to go home and self-pleasure. And I want it to be more than just masturbating. Self-pleasure is about learning how to bring joy and pleasure into yourself. So if the first way that you do it is like by going and getting like a cup of ice cream and just sitting there and enjoying it, that's a form of self-pleasure. And then start transmuting it into one's body and into touch and into like figuring out what it is that you want to decide. That's actually when people come in with like quote unquote low libido, the prescription I often give them is like, okay, let's go learn what it is that you actually desire. And we start with a self-pleasure mm -hmm. practice. I also use it a lot for trauma, for women who have trauma. There is an article that specifically talks about um, BDSM and kink for the sake of therapy to reset those boundaries with yourself, to have one or several other partners mm -hmm. that you trust and have communication. And it's a, it's a place that is in many ways for many people, very freeing that they're able to work through things. Think of it like sports. <laughs> if it makes you more comfortable to talk about that <laughs> for some reason. Absolutely. And sex too. Sometimes, you know, people need to use sex, right? Use sex as a sport in that way to work out, to work them out issues and work. And as a physician, really, the only thing that I care about is, do you understand trauma? Are you, is it consensual? Do you understand your boundaries or the people that you are playing with understand boundaries? Because um, a lot of people, you know, they read like 50, 50 shades of gray and are like, yay, I'm going to start doing all this stuff oh, without no. having any understanding um, and could end up, end up getting hurt. So like when I, it's actually in one of my inpatient question forms is like do you practice bdsm or kink because not because i care i just want to make sure that they're doing it in an informed and consensual way and that's the thing because it is enticing and because especially if you are from an older generation or sex was even more shamed or you saw it less shamed and then shame come in so you're trying to figure it out. It's interesting how mainstream has taken things and taken the consent and kind of the most beautiful parts of it out of there. And things like Fifty Shades of Grey, it got a lot of backlash because the BDSM community said, hey, we really value, like we have core values on consent here. You are completely negating and insulting an entire community. If you want to do this, that's fine, but then you need to do your research. Because now people are like, this is so interesting. I want to get into this. And it's like, okay, but really learn then. Be safe. Yeah. And it's also similar with like becoming, entering into a non-monogamous uh, relationship. You know, a lot of people, you know, we all we learn is monogamy. So there's a bunch of people who are now like trying to explore non-monogamy coming from a monogamous framework. And how do you do that? And it's very, you know. Um, there's a lot of wrong ways of doing it. And then there's a few really, really good ways of doing it. And not having those resources and knowing that has really can really hurt people and cause trauma. So, but it's a similar thing. Like, hey, yeah. uh, it, you read about it in the magazine and you're all of a sudden like, ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun. But doing it right, doing it well, doing it consensually, having conversations, understanding jealousy and what it is you need is so key to be able to navigate these different, you know, worlds well. Yeah. I definitely think because I have many friends and people I know that are in polyamorous relationships, but also there are some people that have, they used it 
as a tool to fix a broken relationship when they are actually into monogamy. And and then polyamorous relationships get a bad rap. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's not all this is. And I think the most important thing to tell people is really learn about yourself. Learn what you need. Learn what your need, wants, and desires are and how to communicate them clearly. And then listen to your partner or partners and really decide if that's something that you want. Polyamorous relationships or any kind of other relationships are not a Band-Aid. They are not something to fix. They are something to be an active part of and something that if you would like to be a part of, there are conversations. And it almost makes you open up more and have to dig in deeper than I would say monogamous. Absolutely. Which is that whole STARS conversation, which I'll tell you what it stands for. It stands for um, your sexual health, STI status. That's the S. The T is your turn-ons. Your A is your avoids, which mm-hmm. are your boundaries or any trauma triggers, things that you need to really uh, set. The other person needs to understand what they sh- where they shouldn't uh, tread into. The R is your relationship mm-hmm. and, uh, intentions and your expectations. A lot of us, you know, don't know what we're wanting or what we expect. So actually thinking about what are what are my intentions and what do I expect from someone that I may want to engage with sexually or intimately. What does that look like? And then the last S is the um, safer sex etiquette. But it's not just like condoms and contraception. Mm -hmm. It's really like, what are the behaviors that we're going to have and create so we could create a safer sex container so that we feel like we can do whatever Mm -hmm. we want to explore within that. And this is a conversation to be had before you enter intimate relationships, but it's also a conversation to be had during relationships and ongoing because intentions change, (laughs) needs change, boundaries change, desires change, and sometimes your STI status changes. So I really so strongly think that if we could bring this idea that these these concepts are so important from the get-go, we could change everybody's intimate and sexual life, no matter if you're having relationships with one person for your entire life or many. Oh, wow. Why the fuck wasn't that in my education program in school? (laughs) That's what I'm trying to do. I mean, actually, that is part of my big work is really trying to get that idea into education programs and into the hands of everybody, not just people who are doing kink and not just people who are doing polyamory, but really to everybody to realize that these concepts are so important. The more we talk about them, like even the more we talk about STI status, the more we're actually destigmatizing STIs. The more we say, I want to know when your last test was, and this is my last test, the more we're saying, I, I'm showing you that I care about my body and I'm showing you that I care about your body. It's, it's switching the whole stigma around from like, oh my God, what do you think? I'm like sleeping around with people and I should be tested to no, I care about me and I care about you. So let's talk about when we were last tested and what those tests mean. And if one of us is positive for HIV, HPV, or HSV, how can we still create a safer sex container with one another that can be beautiful and relieves us from the stigma we hold from society? Yeah. And knock that shit out about who, oh, I have many partners. You think I'm that person? Every person, like knock that shit out about those stigmas. If you are a human, living, breathing person, you are not just automatically taken out of the situation if you're a certain kind of person. Every single person deals with these things. It does not matter if you've had sex with three people or 30 people or 300 people. 
shit happens. Or even so. no people. Even no people. Or even no people. You know, yeah. if, you're, if you're asexual, these conversations are still important because you still have desires, you still have boundaries, you still have intentions, and you still need to figure out your sexual health. And sexual health is more than just STIs. You know, we forget that sexual health is like the way that our body opens up and utilizes our sexuality for our wellness and for our pleasure. And it's, you know, there's people who have, again, seeing it beyond just what's wrong with us, but seeing what's right with us. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And that I love that you're being so inclusive with asexuality because I know people are like, oh, they don't have sex. It's like, that does not mean they don't have pleasure. That does not mean they don't have sexual attraction. And there is also a spectrum or a wave. You know, some people are like, I just really love making out and I think they're really hot. I just don't personally enjoy, you know, the typical penetration, whatever that may be, given what or who you're into. People need to realize that there are a lot of things out there and you may find enjoyment in a lot of these things that you've been neglecting. So don't take that away from yourself. Don't take these beautiful experiences you could be having because of these limiting beliefs that really aren't true. And that's the beautiful thing Mm -hmm. with people like you with social media, you know, like the beautiful thing is you can find a sense of community, you know, and that's, I love Mm -hmm. that. Oh yes. And a community is almost key to kind of sometimes some of these explorations. You know, the exploration into non-monogamy really need the support of community. The exploration into sacred sexuality, communities important with there. And, and the exploration into non-vanilla sex, whatever that means to you. <laughs> of course. Community helps. Yeah. Setting those boundaries and having it all starts with that communication because it gets mm-hmm. a bad rap because one or two people that maybe are toxic, maybe are unhealthy, maybe don't set boundaries they kind of manipulate and do it in the name of kink or do things in the name of polyamory. And it's like, no, you actually just don't respect their boundaries or you're walking on somebody that doesn't know how to set those boundaries yet. So it gives it a bad name. But if we taught everyone, hey, this is a healthy way to communicate. This is how you set your boundaries. This is how you discover what you like. Those people now can't live in gray area. They're like, nope, I know what their boundaries are clear as day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So moving forward, I know you talked a bit about stars, make time for the talk. Do you have any upcoming projects or things you'd like to see moving forward for you and for the mental health care world as well as sexual health care? Well, I will be teaching some workshops on it, which means that we actually go through our, you know, STI standards, our our turn-ons, our avoids. So you go through each element of it and practice it in these workshops. You kind of broken out into little breakout groups that have facilitators. And within those groups, you get to practice, you know, your talk because a lot of us don't know it or, or it sounds really easy. We think, oh, yeah, it's easy to do this. But then when you actually have to do it, it feels a little awkward. So the first um, so I do offer workshops. I have a workshop coming up uh, next weekend and also June, June 12th. I will be doing a workshop with Courtney Brame from Something Positive for Positive People that will be just for uh, herpes specific. It's an HSV, you know, two uh, group. We'll be doing the workshop with that in mind. I might make it a little bit more comfortable for people who have to disclose their status. 
I also am doing a small group coaching, which is about 10 people, which we actually deep dive into our own. Like this is really for people who've never thought about like, what are boundaries? What is it that I desire? What, what are my intentions? So I do a small mm. group coaching with people to help them. It's called inside out to help them understand themselves. So then they know what to say to someone else. And then hopefully once I get enough people who have learned it, I want to start a facilitator training program so that others who have done the workshops can actually go and teach workshops like that in their community. So my goal is to spread this. I'm trying to do it as grassroots as possible. Just like learn it, do it, teach it, be it. So more people who want to, um, get practice in it and teach their kids. I hope to bring it out to college campuses and even high school programs. So that it just gets integrated to a place where it's like a no brainer. My hope is that stars becomes a no brainer, that it's just something that we could reach up to and have for us. And Hell, you can go to yeah. my website, which is, yeah, it's make time for the talk.com or the stars talk.org or just so they can find the two talks coming up on that website. Yes, you can find the two the two workshops coming up. The workshop for herpes will be up probably sometime later this week. That will be up there too. So if you're HSB positive. Wonderful. And if you would like to find Dr. Eveline, she is also on Instagram under Sex Med Doc. I will put the information underneath when I publish this podcast as well. Dr. Eveline Dacker, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're so, thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to chat with you. Absolutely. Well, take care, everyone. And thank you so much for listening to Uncivilized Conversations.